Greetings. Welcome back to ViewCast. This is episode two, and my guest is Kyle Belanger. Kyle is a senior, and he spent two years serving as the Vice President of Academic Affairs for Viking Council. Kyle is also studying biology and chemistry here at Grandview, and he actually spent the summer at Johns Hopkins University doing some really fascinating research. Kyle will also be presenting research that he performed with Dr. Hazan here at Grandview and the National Association of Biology Teachers Conference in San Diego in November as a part of the Mentored Undergraduate Research Poster Competition. Kyle will be presenting a poster titled Cloning and Sequencing a Novel GAPC Gene. I'll let him talk a little bit more about that because when I read that, I don't know what it means. So without further ado, here's Kyle Belanger on episode two of ViewCast. Enjoy. This thing on? It's on. It's on. Kyle Belanger, ViewCast episode two. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, This episode of ViewCast is going to be a little bit different. It's coming from a student perspective. Last week we had Coach Mitchell. In the future we're going to have some more professors. Um, But Kyle Belanger, good student to talk to. Uh, Student leader, two-time vice president of academic affairs uh, with Viking Council. Yep. Um, Just spent the summer in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins University. Yep, beautiful Baltimore. Doing some research. We'll get into that a little bit. And uh, in November, you're going to where to present? Uh, I'm presenting at two conferences, actually. The first one is the National Association of Biotechnology Teachers, and that's for a molecular biology project I did in the spring. And then also a conference called Abercams, which is in Indianapolis, which is the following week where I'll be presenting my research from Dr. Hall's lab in the biochem department. Okay, cool. So if you're uh, if you're not ready for this, open up your mind a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit of science. <laughs> so get ready. Yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have him do his best to explain it for the lay person, but yep. uh, it sounds like it's pretty confusing stuff regardless. <laughs> First and foremost, I want to talk about student leadership, though. Yep. You became a student leader early on, your time at Grandview. Yep. Uh, how do you think that has influenced your success at Grandview? Yeah, it's it's definitely helped a lot. I mean, just like learning and gaining all the skills that I've had as a student leader have been really impactful. Like, I never would have opened up like I have if I never um, joined student leadership. Or um, it teaches you a lot about hard work and openness to other ideas and like openness to things you wouldn't have thought of before. Um, particularly with like things related to diversity or Uh, other parts of leadership and um it's really just a good tool to have i think and you meet a lot of really cool people it's just one of my favorite things like there's a lot of people that i never would have talked to never would have met if i never was a student leader including staff faculty um like the president and all the people on president's council and just tons of different students and people from all around the country too so viking council is the governing body that oversees the students yep and then uh, what's the other what's the other one? So there's also like rec and sac. Okay. Is that what you're? Yeah, and those are just like more... rec is residential experience. So they do stuff for the students, but they usually all host different events, um, specifically for people that live on campus. And then sac is student activities council. So that's for any student. So they'll do like the bowling night and uh, stuff like that. But then 
there's a lot of other teams too. Um, there's a lot of like other diversity teams, student leadership, uh, student ministries, stuff like that. But they do, they'll have their kind of little niche. And then all together, all of those groups make up student leadership at Grand Youth. It's good stuff. So there's a group of eight or eight of us, eight of you yep. that are on Viking Council. Yep. And for two years, you've been the vice president of academic affairs. What does that entail for you? as the vice president of academic affairs. So I am basically the relay between students and faculty or staff relating to any academic measures. Um, so like some of my, the things I do is I sit on like two faculty committees. One of them is curriculum committee where we like, um, it's made up of faculty and staff, but basically that committee works to go through any course changes, new programs, new courses, um, changes to like the catalog. Um, if a specific student needs like a specific major that Grandview doesn't offer, sometimes they can help make a new major for that student or, uh, different things like that. But I also meet with Dr. Moses and who's the provost, if you don't know. Um, and just, we talk about anything related to academics that people might be missing out on, or if people might need a voice for, um, I'm kind of the middleman in in that sense. So in your two years at this position, is there anything that you can look back on and point to and say, like I was uh, at least partly responsible for making that happen here at Grandview? So one thing Kendall, who's the president last year, really started pushing for was like a some sort of dead week policy, which is um, like Grandview doesn't have, which I know like a lot of bigger universities, they have like a dead week where there's no like events outside of um, outside of just classes for the week before finals. And Grammy doesn't have that. And that's something that Kendall was really pushing for. And that's something we're still sort of discussing. It's still kind of in the mix. And another thing is um, there's a lot of ish teachers that aren't using Blackboard or aren't like even reporting grades very well. Um, so that's something that we're trying to work on right now is you know, you can't really require faculty to use Blackboard or anything, but the school spends a ton of money on it. Mm. And I know that a few years ago they were having only like 20% of faculty use it and they did a bunch of training and stuff and it bumped up to now like 60 or more. So it is getting better and um, we're still working on it, but there's still a lot of faculty that we're having issues with them not reporting grades very well to their students so like it'll be halfway through the semester and student doesn't know what their grade is that can obviously be a big issue um and another thing that is kind of hot right now is um there's issues with advising especially like when you're a freshman because i've heard a lot of people that aren't having faculty be their advisor like the faculty's not in their major so like for me my original advisor was Kristen she's in the theater department and she was awesome she she like did a really good job planning my four years for as I was coming in as a freshman but she's not a biologist or a chemist so she doesn't know about all that stuff she doesn't know about med school so there's a lot of kids that are having issues like that and then their courses aren't being aligned in the right way so when they get to like it'll be like second like second semester and they have to take a class but that class is only offered in the fall and they have to wait until the fall and then it pushes all their stuff back. So that's something else that we're trying to work on too. So was it that you were a freshman and you saw some problems and you were like, I want to fix this? Or was it more that you were just going to be a student leader and this is kind of the role that you ended up playing? 
Yeah, I just wanted to be a student leader. And I knew I wanted to be on Viking Council. I'd been on student um, government when I was in high school. And, you know, it's not the same thing as in college, obviously. There's mm-hmm. a lot more responsibility and time and whatnot. But I just liked being involved and meeting, like, a ton of new people and helping people, like, have their best college experience possible. Well, just the few things that you said there have all three impacted me directly as yeah. a student. <laughs> like, uh, there have been courses that were in the spring, but I needed them in the fall. Yeah, exactly. I started with a different advisor in a completely different area as well. Yeah. And the idea of Dead Week, it does seem like Grandview is kind of on this accelerated semester. Uh, we start like a, a week later than most places. We usually end a week earlier. Sometimes yeah. uh, we have like we have like a small fall break, a Friday off in there, whatever. <laughs> but but it, it kind of seems like uh, our semester is done a little quicker than maybe some of the state universities. Definitely. So that I, idea of a dead week would only make sense. I mean, we're cramming we're cramming a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. So I, th- I think a, a I dead week or something, something that resembles that of a dead week would be helpful to a lot of Grandview students. Yeah, I think a lot of students would be interested in that for sure. The only thing is just like timing for faculty or like, you know, we just don't want to push the semester back too far. That's the big, big issue from a lot of staff and faculty. So celebrating Christmas yeah. doing finals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would not be ideal. Okay, so you spent the summer in Baltimore. Yep. Uh, Johns Hopkins University. Mm-hmm. Pretty impressive. Yep. What was that like? Uh, so I was at the School of Medicine. So um, it was pretty crazy. So Hopkins is obviously like one of the world's best medical institutions. And it was me and th- uh, three other kids from around the country were in my program. It's called Farms. It was Foundation um, for Academic Research in the Medical Sciences. And um, all of our projects were in the um, Institute for Cell Engineering. So we were all stem cell labs. Um, But my project in particular focused on looking at a new way to label stem cells so we can track how they migrate and how they develop after transplantation into the brain. So it was was kind of weird for me because I don't have any neurology experience and there was four principal investigators, which are like four faculty in our lab, which is really big. And in total, there was probably like 30 or 40 people in the lab, which is like really big. Because last year when I was at Oklahoma, there's like six or seven. So there's like a lot more people. And um, yeah, so I worked on that project and it was like we created a little 3D model of a piglet brain. So we were actually doing injections into the brain ventricles. They're these little structures like deep in the brain and they produce and secrete um, CSF, cerebral spinal fluid. So that's the fluid that like goes throughout your brain. And there's like certain ways that it flows out of the ventricles and stuff. But what we were doing is we were doing injections into that. And then we were seeing how, um, basically how the stem cells migrate after injection into that part of the brain. So we were doing that and then we started doing it in mice, but we were using pet imaging it's positron emission tomography it's a kind of complex like physics thing but basically you have like a radioactive nuclide and you label the cells with it and you inject them and then you can use this certain scanner and it can pick up pick up the radioactivity so you can see where it is in the body they use it a lot for cancer that's what it was developed for but there's other um, applications so after you injected it 
where in the body was it mainly traveling? So we wanted to see where specifically it went. We were interested in only the brain. So the diseases that our lab was kind of focusing on was just, there's a lot of babies that can get born, like if the umbilical cord wraps around their throat or something, and they can have like severe brain damage because of loss of oxygen and nutrients and stuff. So we were interested in those kind of diseases, and we were wanting to do like an overall therapeutic effect to the entire brain, which is pretty difficult, difficult, but that's why we chose the ventricles to do our injections because the ventricles produces CSF. So we were hoping that through injection to the, the ventricles, it would go throughout the entire brain. So we saw, um, we were measuring at what parts, um, like where in the brain the stem cells were moving. And we saw a lot was going, like we had this little part that was in the spinal cord too. And the ventricles are connected to the spinal cord in the back of the head. And we were seeing a lot flow down the spinal cord, but we also saw a lot stay in the ventricles, which is what we were hoping for. Stem cells have seemed to be picking up a lot of traction yeah. lately, especially in uh, common sciences. I was reading something the other day talking about uh, exosomes. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you know about exosomes and like in relation to treatment to like acute injuries, especially like shoulder, knee, stuff mm -hmm. like that? So exosomes are just what the cell secretes. That's like, um, as far as I know, I don't know too much about it because all of my research was with the stem cells themselves, but I think it's just with like the cytokines and other things that the cells are secreting. And, um, the first time I actually heard about it was on Joe Rogan's podcast with Rhonda Patrick. Mm. But uh, I remember Joe was talking about how he was getting some of that treatment in one of his knees or shoulders, I think. But basically, um, you're not using the stem cells, as far as I know. And you're just getting a lot of the benefit from the different cytokines and uh, other factors that you're getting injected. And those things just help with recovery or inflammation and um, blood flow and stuff like that. So it's not the actual stem cell because the stem cell, a lot of it is for regeneration and stuff like that. But they also have this other really good advantage of just all these different things that they secrete, which are really good for you. Okay, so going back to the research you did um, with stem cells, what was it? Was it promising? Was it like what you were hoping for? And uh, is there more to more to build off of what you found? Yeah, so we kind of developed the initial model in this little, like, it was just like a model brain that we used, but then we were also starting to do it in mice. And it was looking good, like we were getting pretty good results, but we were using specific radionuclide that you can measure for a couple of weeks, which is important for our applications. Um, so yeah, it, it looked pretty, pretty good when I left. It was zirconium 89 and... Um, yeah, so far it was good. I think they're still continuing on it, but there are other methods. There's a ton of different ways that you can label these stem cells. And the one that's most interesting to me is where you use like a reporter gene. So in these cells, you can engineer their DNA so that they produce a certain protein. And then if you inject something like radioactive iodide, only the cells that you injected will pick that up. And then you can image those. That's my favorite type. Like that's what I would do if I was doing this kind of research. But do you plan to continue doing this kind of research? I definitely want to do stem cell stuff. I'm really interested in type one diabetes research, just because a lot of my family, like my little sister and my aunt and my grandfather and my other aunt. So there's like a lot of it in my family, and I have a 
like a risk for it. Um, that's kind of what I want to get into, like into as I start doing more research and I go on to graduate school and whatnot, but definitely stem cell stuff. Cause that's probably going to be the future of medicine along with gene editing. Gene editing. I'm glad you brought that <laughs> up. That's going to, that is one of the crazy things. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I've even, we've even seen stuff coming from other countries where they're oh, doing yeah. it on human embryos already. Oh, yeah. Um, where, China. Where, where do we stand in, in terms of gene editing in the United States? So a couple of weeks this maybe it's about a month ago now, but the first clinical trial was granted for a gene editing technology by the FDA. So it's for beta thalassemia. And this is really interesting because I wrote a project just about this disease using CRISPR like a year ago. Um, but basically what they're going to be doing, or I'll, I'll back up. The disease is beta thalassemia. I mean, basically it results from, if I can remember right, misfolding in a certain protein in red blood cells. And what happens is basically the person can't carry oxygen, right? Because red blood cells carry oxygen. And if you have something misfolding in the protein, then they can't carry um, oxygen well. So basically what this uh, new clinical trial is, and it's going to be carried out in Germany, is they're taking, I think, stem cells out of the patient's pelvis and using CRISPR and changing the gene back to what it should be and re-injecting into the patients. So that's the first U.S. granted clinical trial. There's tons of stuff going on in animal models, but that's the first one that's going to be on humans. And we won't, the U.S. won't do human embryo stuff for a long time, I would imagine. But I know, I'm sure China's doing stuff like that. Just the idea of that is really fascinating because if you just follow the slippery slope that it yeah. uh, that it goes down, you can imagine where that might take us. Yeah. Um, I mean, you might start seeing people choosing what their babies are before they give birth to their baby. You know, yeah, like, eye color, height. Height. I want my baby to be able to run through a brick wall. Yep. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I want it six foot nine. Yeah. You could do that. That's really crazy that we're crazy at, world. that we're getting to that point in science. Yeah. Um, of the two things that I really think about a lot when it comes to scientific advancements, it's gene editing and stem cells. Yeah, me too. Because I think there's a lot of people in our society today who have, um, who have struggled with acute injuries in their joints, especially older men right now, like middle-aged men, yep. shoulder pain, knee pain, back pain. I think that's one of those things that's almost like an epidemic in our country. Yeah, And you could probably point it towards uh, overuse or just negligence, but I think a big part of it is probably the way that they are currently treating things. Oh, yeah. The medi- I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about like the medical field in general, but... I think a lot of people just like prescribing drugs and not treating patients. And I mean, it's not necessarily their fault too, because a lot of hospital management is always pushing for, obviously they want to go as many patients as possible as soon as possible. So it's not always their fault either, but I feel like that is Mm -hmm. definitely something that happens a lot. Like you tore your labrum. Okay. Surgery, pain pills, you'll be up to go in six months. Exactly. You know, um, I think a lot of that, probably will be changing too especially like as we get a, a new wave of doctors in the field too a lot of younger people will start obviously entering the field and a lot of the older people will be retiring and whatnot so hopefully like there will be a lot more open-minded people who will be open to those sort of technologies 
So you spent all summer in Baltimore, and that was the only project you guys were focusing on the whole time? That was my project. So my mentor had uh, another project. He was doing that reporter gene stuff that I was mentioning, but everybody in our lab worked on stem cells or neuroradiology or neurosurgery. So we did like neurosurgery on mice and stuff like that, which was really cool. I think that's a really fascinating look inside the world of science because you disappear for three months and you're working on one thing the whole time. Yeah. And it's, you get to a point where you're like, yeah, things went well, but, um, like, it's not like, it's not like when you (laughs) You get a good result, you can just be like, okay, here it is. Everybody do this now, you know, uh, takes a long time and a lot of money, which, which is kind of one of my, like, one of my things that I think about a lot in regards to those scientific advancements, like, we, we've heard about them a long time ago. Uh, we're starting to hear about them way more, but how long until this stuff actually comes and makes an impact? And, like, is it even going to be able to make an impact, or do we already have a system set up that people think works well enough where they don't want to introduce these new things? Yeah, that happens a lot. And just pretty much anything in science, especially new drugs, they take a long time. The average cost for a new drug is a billion dollars to bring to market. So it's everything in science just takes a long time and takes a lot of money, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because we have a lot of precautions set in stone. Like the U S is probably the U S and Europe are, have probably the most precautions, but they're just, they just, obviously you don't want anything in the market that's going to cause any harm to anybody. So that's why it takes so long, but that's how it is. Well, good thing we still have cigarettes and booze out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> plenty of that. Um, moving on to what you're going to be presenting about, uh, yep. the project that you did last year. I just actually read about it. Um, I mean, the people who will listen to this will probably have seen it on their, my view page by the time we're talking about it. Um, gene sequencing, that's about all that I, that's about all that I was able to take from it after <laughs> I read it. So, so explain it for the lay person, sure. what your project was last year. So... This was in our molecular biology class um, with Dr. Hazan. She, she's a biology professor. She teaches it. But basically what we worked on throughout the semester was sequencing of um, a gene in watercress and fennel, which are just two like pretty common plants. Um, and no one had n- known the sequence for the, these genes before. So we basically ended up sequencing. But the gene that we looked at was GAPDH, which is a part of glycolysis, which is the breakdown of sugars. Um, so basically we did all these different molecular biology techniques and whatnot, but by the end of the project, we had sequenced the DNA of this particular gene in this plant. And then we sent it to a public database to be basically just stored. So anyone who ever wants to do research on this sort of stuff can just use this sequence. So we actually found the A, C, T, Gs, the whole sequence of the whole gene. So when you look at a DNA sequence like that, what does it mean to find an A, a C, a T, and a G? So the A, C, T, Gs, that's just the sequence um, of different nucleotides. So A is adenine, T is thymidine, and blah, 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 like cytosine and guanine, but... And they just look a, a little bit different than the other ones? They're or? not too much different, yeah. Two of them have two rings, two of them have one ring. So they're just 
it's kind of hard to explain if you can't see it, mm-hmm. but um, that's just the the whole sequence, and the cells use that sequence of DNA to make RNA, and then they use that RNA to make proteins. The protein is what actually does the function in the cell. So the DNA is really important because it gets passed down, and the cells, like that plant, will have that forever. Um, but it needs that to make the protein, and the protein is what actually does the function that helps in breakdown of sugar in plants. So you're talking about like the little spirally ladder type yeah, looking thing. Double helix. You can actually see that under a microscope. You can or no? You cannot see it. So we use different techniques, um, and we use these thing called primers. It's it's pretty complicated, but basically we amplify the DNA a lot. So if we start with like a hundred copies, we end up with like millions of copies. And we we do this process um, through, it's called sequencing. You can like sequence a genome. It was first done and the first sequencing cost a lot of money, but techniques have gotten a lot better. So now you can sequence this gene for pretty cheap. And basically you just send it to a company, you send them your sample and they can sequence the gene for you. So the, the machine and the technology can read, um, if it's at a certain spot, if that spot is A, a C, a T, or a G. So it can read what the letter is at each spot, but you can't actually see it. But there is a microscope where you can, I just, I saw this a little while ago, but it's so powerful that you can actually see like the outline of DNA, but you won't ever be able to see like the bases or anything. It's too small. So when you say you ship genes to someone and they ship you back <laughs> more sequenced genes, is it literally like a container filled with genes? So it's just basically we have um, we have these like little samples in all these different wells. And it's like a 96-well plate. And in each well, we have just different samples of our our plant tissue. And like we've done some other stuff so that basically we get down to the DNA so basically in each well, you'll just have DNA and like the two primers because you need a primer on each end. And then they polymerize like this so you can get the whole length of the DNA. So it's kind of complex um, unless you're a science person. But um, you have the DNA in there. You have primers. You have just like some basic salts to help the, the DNA polymerase. And then you send that to the company and then they do they have like a certain procedure where at certain, it'll be at a certain temperature for a certain amount of time to allow for elongation. Then it'll cool, and then do it again. And then they have their own techniques that they do to read it. And basically, what they send you back is just computer software or like things to upload to your software so you can read the data. So they'll send back to you. It'll just be like a huge list of A, C, Ts, and Gs, and that's the sequence. That's all you get back. They send you the sequence electronically. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's hard to even imagine. <laughs> uh, I hope I'm not the only one who listened to that and is just dumbfounded a little bit by the idea of that. Um, it's pretty incredible. It is. It is, man. Science is crazy. And the the fact that we can sit here and talk about gene sequencing like it's like it's really nothing. I mean, we're doing it in college classrooms. Yeah. Uh, you're able to send it to a lab and they send it back. Yeah. It's just crazy that we've got that far. And I think it, it really does it really does shine light on what science does for us. Oh yeah. It's incredible. Especially sequencing is going to get even more important. I think in the future, uh, especially with 
things like personalized medicine based on your own ge- genome. So a lot of people do things like 23andMe or Ancestry and, and whatnot, and they can get their genome sequenced. And based on their DNA, they can have all these defects or all these things that can basically leave them at a higher risk for diseases or cancers or a bunch of different things. And I think that's going to be really important moving forward and with physicians being able to diagnose or help a patient avoid certain diseases. Wow. Science is crazy, man. Yeah, science is, it's so big. Science is just so big. Yeah, I mean, I never, I really never ever really think about how science impacts me until I come across some sort of article or someone else brings it up. Yep. But when I'm driving down the road, when I'm pouring water, whatever it is, I, I'm not thinking of like little H2O molecules like <laughs> dropping out of a faucet into my yep. water, but it is all around us. Everywhere. And like when I sit down across from you and you start talking like this, I almost start to see things a little bit dr- differently. Yeah. Like, like I'm, I, I feel like I can see the little double helixes yep. everywhere. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, but before we wrap up this, uh, this episode of the podcast, I did want to ask you one thing about the, the status of prescription drugs in our country. Um, I mean, clearly we all know about the opioid epidemic yeah. and it, it started with prescription drugs. The opioid epidemic is rooted in prescription drugs. So looking at that, how how do we avoid that going forward? How do we avoid the next opioid epidemic? Because at the time, they thought it was good science, right? Right. right. Um, Big question, I know. I mean, it is, I mean, it's good science in the fact that they work, but it's bad in the fact that, obviously, they're incredibly addictive. So... There's a lot of research, obviously, going into um, managing the addictiveness of these drugs and coming up with different drugs. Um, And a lot of research into alternatives like THC or CBD and other things uh, like that or Kratom and uh, a bunch of different kinds of drugs. And basically, people are just looking for a way that they can get the same effect, not have their chronic pain, but just without the side effects. Uh, and it's like, it's a real thing. Like I've shadowed a lot of physicians and I've seen patients that have like, they're, you can tell they're addicted to, to the drugs and they, it just seems like a normal person. Like sometimes you would never even imagine it. You would never even know. And you can just tell by talking to them for 10 minutes that they, they seem like they need it. Like they'll wake up in the middle of the night thinking they have to take it. And you wouldn't even imagine it could just be like somebody's grandmother and you have no clue. So it's everywhere, and um, yeah, something needs to be done. I don't know enough about the subject to really comment on the research, but it's definitely an epidemic. An epidemic indeed. Okay, now there's three things that I'm going to ask everybody who comes on ViewCast, okay? Yep. First one, three favorite places on campus. Well, I got to say Ealing's is my first one because that's where I basically live. Um you mean specifics or like buildings or? I want a specific location. Okay, <clears throat> uh, specific one is Ealing's One Eleven. That's a chem, uh, biochem lab. Um, that one for sure. Another one would probably be the um, there's a certain classroom in Ealing's that 
I've kind of really always enjoyed. It was like my first, it was where I had like my first real science class here at Grandview with Dr. Z. Um, I've always just liked that room for whatever reason. And then the last one is probably, um, it's where we had our Viking council meetings the last two years. We can't have it right now because there's other events going on every single Wednesday in the room, but it's right across from the alt center in Rasmussen. It's like the big round table and there's a bunch of cool fancy chairs around yeah, it. And I know what you're talking about. It's just a really cool room. You got windows all around you and great view and um, comfy chairs. You just feel really executive Executive. <laughs> in that room. The fact that it was so hard for you to answer that question with two other places besides the biochem lab yeah. just goes to show <laughs> how dedicated you are to this stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, next one. Anything that you've read, seen, or listened to lately that you want to point people in the direction of? Um, I obviously love the kind of medical research that I've gotten myself into. Um, and I think keeping up to date, even if you're not a science person with all the different genome kind of stuff or stem cell stuff is really important. But the other thing I think that everybody should really pay attention to is like space exploration, which is really, I mean, we're not super close, but it's probably going to be in our lifetime that we're exploring at least past the moon. Um, and everybody knows about SpaceX with Elon and they've had a lot of really good success with Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy. Um and their ability to land their own rockets and reuse rockets. And they've been doing that for quite a while now. But the company that I think is even more incredible is Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos' company, which is the richest man in the world who founded Amazon. But no one knows about them, but I'm pretty sure they actually landed their own rocket again before SpaceX did, but they just, no one ever knew about it. They're actually, in my opinion, probably even further ahead than SpaceX in terms of you know like exploring the cosmos and they've uh, they have a lot of deals going on with the government and the government's actually going to like help fund them and they're doing a lot of really cool stuff just with uh i just saw they had they're creating a new spaceship i saw this yesterday where it's going to be specifically for the moon so they're hoping to go back to the moon by 2021 and actually have like a space station and establish life on the moon um so I think there's someone that's really important to pay attention to. Um, so the big three, in my opinion, for space exploration are SpaceX, Blue Origin, and then also Virgin Galactic, which is founded by Richard Branson, who is the founder of the Virgin Company. Um, they're all three kind of in a space race um, of their own. <laughs> and instead of a, a geopolitical yeah, space race, exactly. it's like a CEO Private space industry. race. Yeah, That's pretty funny, actually. Yeah. Uh, so space exploration, gene sequencing, stem cells, yep. learn your stuff, people. Yep. Lots to learn. That, Always learning. So much to learn. Um, okay. Last thing that I do, it's called rattle it off. All right. I'm just going to, okay. I'm going to hit you with some questions, rattle them off right away. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Cyclones or Hawkeyes? Hawks. Steak or chicken? Chicken. Gatorade or water? Oh, water. Water. Yep. Water. Okay. Book or article? Article. Movie or TV? Ooh, if it's Game of Thrones, I'm watching that. 
Okay, okay, here, here's here's an even better one. Same, same idea. Cable or Netflix? Netflix. Radio or streaming services? Streaming. Spotify. Well, that's all for this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Kyle, for joining me. Yeah, thanks. Look forward to uh, seeing how people feel about this. Because uh, it's a lot to take in. There's a lot <laughs> of cool science. All righty, that's it, everybody. Thanks. Peace.